Hey, Willow. Hey, Gene. Welcome to uh, welcome to another uh, edition of Bookstabber. How you doing? This this is a very special episode of Bookstabber, folks. I'm Willow Payne. I am the creator of the Haunted Skull. www.hauntedskull.com. I'm Gene Ambom. I'm, I'm, I'm a man with cats right now uh, who did not let me sleep last night. Uh, it's very complicated. I got home late from a hockey game. Uh, the first hockey game I've been to in a long while, and uh, you know, you know, you know what's fun about hockey, Willow? Um, snacks, snack bar. There was a lot of snacks there. Uh, I, I can't see the puck. I just cannot follow the puck. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a strange game, but uh, okay. I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it, was, it was fun. Speaking of not being able to see the game, the book that we're talking about <laughs> this episode is uh, is a beloved beloved book called Gideon the Ninth. It's the first. It's the first Tam- book. Tam, Tamson, I believe. Yes, by Tamson Muir. Yes, it is the first book of the Locked Tomb series, I believe. That's true. Uh, such sequels include Harrow the Ninth and Nona the Ninth. Is that that's correct? Co- that's correct. And and uh, Nona the Ninth came out this year, twenty twenty two, and the next book, and I th- I believe it's supposed to be the last book, is uh, due out next year. So let me tell you, folks. Uh, so, so hold on, hold on, so hold on, hold on, hold on. So we're going to spoil this book. We're going to spoil this book. If you, yes, if you have we, not we read it, spoil this book. if you have not read it, I cannot recommend that you go read the, like this book highly enough. It's I, the second time I've read it. So much fun, but you do need to take notes <laughs> all the way through it. Willow, I don't think you had as much fun. Is that is that much of a spoiler to say? Yeah. So the, I picked this book for this episode because everyone in my life has already read Gideon the Ninth, and everyone keeps talking about how great it is. Yeah. And uh, I decided that it, time was it was time enough to finally give it a shot. So here we are. I I sat down on my own without Gene didn't know about it. I started reading it, and boy, do I have a lot of thoughts. Did you did you so, read it and uh, not listen to it this time? I, I did listen to an audiobook, it's true. You did listen to it. Okay, because I, th- I thought if you listened to it, you could at least be my guide to how to pronounce these names, which, I mean, when I see these complicated names, I mostly just kind of visually remember what they are and don't even worry about what they sound like. And then I realized I had exactly the wrong names in my head, which is probably part of the reason I can't really follow from book to book which of the characters <laughs> move on, which which I, I, kind of, I kind of don't want to talk about... Um, what happens at the end of this book for for a few reasons, um, but mostly because I, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the next books in the series. I, I don't know. It, it, it's very complicated for me. We're gonna spoil. There's no way we get out of this without spoilers. I'm gonna I'm gonna rip this book into shreds. So let's. We're gonna give the book. We're, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna give the pitch. We're both gonna give a pitch. Both gonna give a pitch. And if the book sounds good to you, stop the podcast. Go read it. Go read it. Come back. If otherwise, if you're like me and you don't really care about spoilers, just charge on ahead. But all right, let's. Well, I want to say I want to I want to say I want to say the thing that that you said to me because I tried to convince you to read this for a while, and and you kept saying no. And I don't know if it was the cover, if it was the redheaded young woman with a skull face on the cover that you were like, and the swords, and you were like, I'm not reading this this fucking book, but. But then you were like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said something along the lines of, why didn't you tell me there were lesbians in this book? <laughs> I, would have, I would have picked it up. And I thought, well, that's my that's my short pitch for the book, right? My short pitch is always, what? well, and I'm sure I'm sure I read this somewhere. It's not it's not mine. I don't know where I read it or heard it. But somebody said lesbian necromancers in space. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's it's close. It's close enough. It's not true, but it's close enough. Um <laughs> Is that is that right. right? Is that what finally got you to read this book? Well, yeah. So uh, a lot of people have said lesbian necromancer in space, but nobody nobody actually did pitch it to me that way initially. Okay, I'm just really curious why you finally picked it up. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's a value to me to know that as a librarian. I, I, I'm I just... not enti- I'm not entirely sure why I did actually. Um, okay. But so, some some random thing that I saw online convinced me that this would be interesting queer fiction. Okay. Um. And I think that the other things about it, well, when you say like necromancers in space, that sounds interesting. And and now that I've read the book, I can safely say like that's dumb. It's extremely dumb. What's extreme? What's extremely? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, well the concept of necromancers in space. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the book even points out that the concept of necromancers in space is is dumb, and it doesn't mostly take place in space. I have to say, so it's 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 a poor well, pitch. It, it does take place on planets that are not Earth. So, well, as, as, as a thing but, to say, as a thing to say, though, it's a very it's a very nice pitch. I mean, I think it captures something about the book without. Okay, well, we're we're dragging our feet. So we uh, are. Let's start the the pitch for this book. Give your short pitch, is, Willow. I'm I'm terrified of this. I'm so terrified. Yes. 
Go. All right. Our main character is uh, Gideon Nav. She is a teenager. She's like 18 or something. Mm-hmm. She has been an indentured servant all of her life to the ninth house in a place called Drearba, which uh, that's how, I don't know how that's spelled, but I know that's how it's pronounced. Yep, yep. She's in a place called Drearba, which is uh, full of skeletons that do busy work and uh, not <laughs> a lot of other people. But uh, the, the ninth house is, is a kind of noble house that uh, is all about necromancy. And she is, has grown up with a person named Harrowhark, who is the heir to this necromantic noble house. Uh, and the book starts with Gideon is trying to run away from the ninth house. She's trying to get on a spaceship to leave this life behind. She's uh, fabricated a, a false uh, writ of some kind that would, that would get her off the planet. Harrow Hark intercedes her and says, listen, I, I need you for this thing. I need you to be my cavalier, which aka bodyguard to this thing on another planet uh, because I'm trying to become what is called a lictor and all of the other noble houses are going to be there and I need you to not screw this up for me. Gideon doesn't want to go, but uh, she loses a fight and so they go. They go to uh, a place called Canaan House, which is on another planet. I don't know if the planet is called Canaan House or whatever. There's a, there's a lot of details like that that are not made well known. I'm, right. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to the book right now. I'm just being very honest. Mm-hmm. So we go to Canaan House and we dis- we meet the other houses. They're, they're all numbered. Uh, there is a lot of characters in this book and we meet all of them all at once. I'm not going to go into each individual character. Uh, Gideon, in particular, uh, has some interesting relationships with some of the other cavaliers who see her as a rival. And the other necromancers are sort of... (laughs) They're all necromancers. They're all cavaliers. Anyway, we're we're going to... I'm just going to speed through. Well, no, I guess that's the problem is that you can't... You can't you can't uh, you can't spoil anything in the pitch because then That's the right. thing that is important is a is a huge spoiler. So I don't know I don't know how you go further than well, that. Well, so let me let me let me stop you there. Let me say that I think my pitch for this would would stop about there. So so basically, Gideon is a foundling in the ninth house. There are nine houses. The first house is the emperor, and the other houses each have something that they offer the emperor. And the ninth house is basically the house of the locked tomb. They're the keepers of the locked tomb. And they live like kind of halfway between the planet's surface and a core. And there's partially a prison and they're partially like guarding this thing, the locked tomb, which we find out later actually, actually houses the emperor's like number one enemy. And we don't know much about, about the enemy, but each of the, each of the houses has as its representative, a prime uh, necromancer, with which and the necromancers have different specialties from different houses, um, but that but the house the ninth house Harrowhark's necromancer specialty is bones. Harrowhark can raise skeletons from just like a bone fragment, and Gideon is kind of the only other young person there. And Gideon is also the best swords person they've ever produced. But Gideon hates the ninth house and is constantly trying to escape. And there's a summons from the emperor. Gideon is about to make her escape, and they stop Gideon and kind of offer her a deal that she'll legitimately be able to go off and join the emperor's armies and get out of the ninth house, but only if she goes to this this uh, meeting of the ninth house. Where, I mean, she kind of like there's a big fight with Harrowhark and Gideon, and Gideon agrees to go and um, finds out that the emperor has has basically summoned representatives, one necromancer and the, their cavalier to uh, what I believe is the planet of the first house, the Emperor's house. Uh, and Canaan house, I think, is that structure, not the, that where they go to to have the tests. And they are, going to, they are going to possibly become lictors. And lictors are these immortal saints. They are necromancers of the highest order. They are immortal, and they have been around for 10,000 years, the 10,000 years of the undying Emperor's rule. So Harrowhark wants to go and try to become um, a lictor, not just for herself to get the power, but also to save her house. Because the ninth house is basically dying. It's just all these old people in this hole in the ground. There's only three young people. There's no children. Nobody outside of the ninth house knows this. They're seen as death cultists, uh, which is not surprising given that they paint skeletons on their faces and walk around in black robes, like the most goth motherfuckers you've ever seen. seen They're seen as death cultists in a society that idolizes necromancers that's right that's right produces necromancers that's right over and over and 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 the great thing about this or the thing that annoys you the most and i suspect i know where you come down on this willow and i'm so just is that gideon's a total smart ass like in the midst of all this 
dreariness and all this all this uh, kind of death cult insanity, Gideon is is either hilariously or annoyingly uh, quipping all the time and and making fun of different things and is is very funny to me, very entertaining. So Gideon ends up going with Harrow Hark. They go to this house. It is a it it, it was once a spectacular little island fortress. Um, all the other uh, cavaliers and necromancers from the other houses arrive. So there are now let's so, so there's eight houses that have arrived because the emperor himself does not send a representative. So there's eight houses and they are all there to either compete or cooperate to become uh, lictors themselves. And and nobody quite knows what that entails. And there's a guy named Teacher who's there and meets them and says, yeah, we don't know what that entails either. There's one rule. Here's the rule. Follow it. Uh, and then begins whatever happens. And nobody really knows what to do. Uh, but it quickly devolves into kind of a locked room mystery, um, complete with necromancy, monsters, murders. It it It's not very clear if it's uh, we're all going to cooperate and do this thing or we're all going to fight each other to the death and do this thing. Um, or some combination of that, but it, it's it, like like the character of Gideon is is well well Gideon the whole book is told through Gideon's eyes, so it's kind of hilariously weird, despite being what would otherwise be this dreary decaying like death focused book, and and Gideon is definitely the Gideon's point of view is definitely the thing that pulls me through the book and pulled me through it again. That's my pitch. If you like if you like smartassery and uh, in in a death cult setting with magic and science. It's 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 quite it's quite an odd book. It is it is a wonderfully odd mix to me of different things and it really works for me. Okay, Willow, right. how's how's that? That that was fine, but I well I I, I take some disagreements. So Okay. I'm I'm going to lay down a rule right now that I think is important. Uh we're not allowed to talk about anything from the sequels. We can only talk about what's in this book, Gideon the Ninth. Oh, well, I, I want to tell you I want to tell you how confused I am by the sequels. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about the sequels at all. <laughs> Well, because here's the thing, because I've had to look many things up to explain what happens in this book mm -hmm. that are, you know, you said that uh, the Ninth House, they live like in the middle of the planet. They live under the surface. But having read this book, that was not made clear to me. It was like, very that... clear in this book because because I, I want you to know I was taking notes in this book because things were not clear to me before. So so that is actually made clear that it's it, well, like because I... Gideon's mom... Uh, she's she's dead and she basically parachutes down this mine shaft to where the um, to where the ninth house actually lives, with with Gideon in a little package, uh, a little kind of like bi biological container. Right. So Gideon's origin story is very confusing. It was one of the first moments because you don't get it at the beginning. You you get it pretty late into the book. the The origin story of the of our main character is so confusing. I I had to stop the book. I had to ask my roommates who are really into this. How many people actually live on Drearba? How many people live on this planet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the res and the response I was given was like twelve people. I was thinking like seven. Which, <laughs> but I don't know. Well, I'm well, making okay, it up. Okay, so here's. There, there's a plot point that is described. So when Gideon was like a toddler, when she was a child. No, no, no. Th 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 that is so much later in the book. I don't even think we can talk about that at the beginning. No, we, but we have, we're spoiling everything. Everything's a spoiler. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, like, like at the beginning. The bad guy, the bad guy is Drusilla or whatever her name is. Uh, <laughs> well, there's so Dilsenea. many. There's so many, is the there's, bad guy. there's so many bad guys. But, but I mean, like, 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 like the beginning of the book sets up this thing where, where Gideon and Harrow and the guy named Ortis, who is the cavalier before they kind of draft Gideon in. Ortis, who's the total mama's boy, right? It sets up Gideon and Harrow in total opposition. They hate each other. They've grown up together. Gideon's a foundling. Harrow is basically like the princess of the ninth house, right? Well, okay. If you want to, if you want to take my grievances in the order in which they arrive, here's here's my first grievance. Okay. Gideon is a foundling, and and the book does describe her as an indentured servant. I'm not I'm not inventing that language. I I, I, that, I, I, I buy that. Like 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 Gideon is stuck in the house with no way out. Okay. Why why is she an indentured servant in a in a society where they have skeletons that do all of the grunt work? And also, why did they train her to use a two handed sword? Why they trained her, I think, is just because that was her her talent, right? But but it's it's a little unclear why they trained her. Um, but the two-handed sword is is like basically a cavalry weapon for the for the emperor's but, cohort, the emperor's army. But but I'm going to say that. Well, I'm, but, I'm gonna, but that I'm, doesn't make sense. They it's but it's in space. They, why why isn't she trained to use firearms? Well, I don't know why they use swords. Well, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know why they use well, swords. Well, that's but see the, to me that's a huge problem. Well, I, I'm I'm going to tell you after 
after three books, I, I still don't know who the enemy is that the cohort is fighting. Like, it, it's unclear to me if, if they're just keeping down that's rebellions a, or what's going on. But, 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 that, but I, that is, that's literally one of the next grievances on my list. Is well, it, well, it, it, we it, keep it does, hearing over and over again about this army and Gideon wants to go join this army, but it does, who are they fighting? Why are they fighting? I don't know. It, but it doesn't matter to this book. It doesn't, Gideon wants to escape and go to the army because I, her I life is hell. I disagree. It does matter. Okay, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like the big explaining book. You do, I mean, th- th- that's where we sit. But, um, but t- 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 to me, that doesn't matter. But, but so, so Gideon is is trained because not to train her would be a waste, I think. And and um, like, there's this big fight with she and Harrow, and Harrow hates her and and has tormented Gideon her entire life. And and Gideon and Harrow are the only two young people of a certain age, which we find out the why of later. But but like Gideon thinks that everybody died because uh, a virus or a bacteria got loose and the only people it didn't kill were were her and Harrow. Isn't that how it goes? Yes. The truth is something much dirtier which which we find out later, but so so Gideon is there and the guy who would be Harrow's cavalier is just like the stay puffed marshmallow man, except for less far less scary, far less big and far less scary and his mom wants to protect him. And so it, it, it's very clear that Gideon is a is a great they call her a swordsman in the book, so I'll just say swordsman. Is a great swordsman, and and eventually, like some like her trainer even admits that she's the greatest swordsman that the ninth has ever produced, basically. And so they want her to go with Harrow to protect her, uh, as she tries to become a lictor. Nobody knowing what that means. And Gideon, like part of being a part of being a cavalier, is is manners and fighting with a rapier, which Gideon doesn't know how to do. So so they weren't actually preparing her for this. She's just their best bet. And so they actually spend months training her up and send her off I with Harrow. I find that detail one of the huge, one of the biggest details in this book mm-hmm. is that Gideon is the world's greatest two-handed sword fighter, and she's so bad with with a rapier. And I find that laughable. I I genuinely think that is so silly that like why so? You mean to tell me those skills don't transfer? Like, well, they don't. They totally uh, don't. That's completely different. I I dis well okay but now here's the thing let's knowing what I know now having read the book because the the ninth house is already seen as weird death cultists the, the other houses already don't like the ninth house not, not not all of them but 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 some of them are very like spooked by by Gideon's well, appearance if, and by Harrow and, and in fact there's a scene there's a scene where the cavaliers are dueling and Gideon has to so Gideon has a rapier and then she pulls out what they refer to as knuckle knives right right which, right because everybody has everybody has an offhand weapon, and and that could be anything between like a Persian katar or a, a World War One trench knife, like that one. I I don't know what that is. I think it's I think it's I think it's brass knuckles with a knife sticking out of it. I mean, like okay, so it's a trench knife. Uh, that's yeah. and I don't think the the book doesn't really tell me that, but um, I think it makes it clear enough. I, I think you're fighting the book there a little bit. Well, anyway, okay, and that's also th- this would make for a great th- that's a great image sure well everyone everyone is supposed to be very elegant and 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 uh, at that point gideon pulls out what is basically like a brawler's weapon and everybody's very shocked right and gideon also doesn't know the rules of dueling so but it's a brawler's weapon that the that was given to her she doesn't want to use it she wants to use a two-handed sword this is given to her because it is considered proper um by ike lamine that like this is this is the way that a proper duelist is going to duel and then everyone is like what knuckle knives that's crazy you're well, crazy but, well most people have a dagger in their offhand and and, and instead of right. a dagger gideon has knuckle knives which so, so it is it is startlingly weird and also gideon is is uh like like fights in her giant black robes and sunglasses right which i mean the sunglasses are hilarious when she pulls the sunglasses out as they land on the planet i mean gideon's never seen a, a day before in her life like which is right. hilarious so well, so Gideon's so, fighting like like with with its skull painted on her face and she quickly defeats the first opponent who's like the old man of the of the cavaliers. And then the second guy like immediately challenges her um because he's a a, a dick, right? Um but it's actually it's actually the it's actually pro it's actually pro, right? Who ca- who uh challenges her the second time? I uh, there's so many characters that I I I I I'm doing my best to keep the ones that are actually important straight in my head. Well, well, and, um, and, and they, they they fight a duel that that basically is is the is the elegant fighting duel that uh, like Gideon was too fast for the old guy she beats first, and then the next duel is a rapier duel, and Gideon kind of can't win because there's all these nice little fancy moves that she can't counter with a rapier because you can't. I mean, right. you're not supposed to block everything, and it's 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 kind of speed. Like if you've ever watched um, fencing matches where people like rapiers versus uh, 
people fighting with like sabers, right? It's it's very it's very different. Right. Um, well, I, uh, for in, I'll I'll point out that um, I I had a roommate in college who was obsessed with fencing. He was a fencer, and his whole thing was that he he used an epee. Uh, which is the heaviest the heaviest sword in fencing there's like four different swords and that's the heavy one and and it scores points differently you, you just you, you, any touch with an epee is is a is a good point because it's such a harder heavier sword to wield well anyway this is a long way of saying that it made it would make perfect sense for me to gideon to have shown up as a cavalier with a two-handed sword and and because everyone already thinks that they're crazy and everyone already thinks that they're you know well, I, I don't not... disagree with that but this is not how things are done and so they're trying to maintain some sense of decorum and some sense that this is actually like a cavalier necromancer team that's been bonded for a long time like that's kind of their play right they don't want everybody to know anyway. that gideon was just thrown into this and so they they, they like harrow makes gideon silent for a while which i think really works for the book because nobody knows what a smart ass gideon is until it's revealed later gideon's making all the smart ass comments in her head for like i don't know a quarter of the book it's quite funny. Like everybody thinks she has a vow of silence, but it's just Harrow kind of threatening to kill her if she doesn't um, shut the fuck up, basically, right? And then Harrow Harrow just disappears, and then Gideon's left alone in this place where, where and you, you mentioned there's skeletons all over the place, which which should be familiar, but the skeletons are way more complicated than what they are in the ninth. In the ninth, they're just they just do really simple tasks, and here they're basically like full full on servants, right? Which we find out why well, later, but. Uh, yeah to me it's not it, it wasn't clear to me reading this the difference between the ninth house skeletons and the canaan house skeletons which is only exacerbated by the fact that we're told that the ninth house is the best at skeletons they're the best at bones right 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 but but the, it, it is specifically talked about in one section which which like i noted because this is the second as a second time through my book i was like oh that's an that's an important thing i missed before these skeletons are are just like like skeletons are not able to be programmed like in this in this super uh, complicated way, and these skeletons are doing enormously complicated tasks. They're fishing, they're cooking, they're cleaning. They're they're doing all these things seemingly without any necromancer like controlling them. So so it, it's kind of astonishing, at least to, to Gideon. So well, let's let's talk about that because that's one of my notes here is that this idea of the divisions between necromancy. There's there's this Avatar: The Last Airbender idea that all of the <laughs> necromancy nations specialize in special yeah. necromancy. So, for yeah. example, I believe it's the sixth house specializes in medical necromancy, and so they're just all little MDs running around, and they can tell you all of the all of the muscle fiber names. Well, I, the sixth house is kind, I, kind of wrong? sixth house is kind of the librarians, I think. Um, but but they do have some medical knowledge because of that. Uh, the sixth house is Palamedes and uh, Camilla, the cavalier. And so the right. sixth the sixth they're, house they're pretty important. They're pretty important through the book. And um and like like Harrow's Harrow's specialty is bone magic, right? Like Harrow from like I said yes. from any from any piece of small piece of bone can raise an entire skeleton. And so the skeletons themselves don't seem really powerful singly. They see, like Gideon seems able to shatter them like left and right, and like other people too. But uh, like like because you can just send a wave of skeletons uh, at somebody, it seems pretty simple. And there's a few a few moments where people say, "Oh, it's funny." Like for the ninth to actually have a cavalier who can fight, we're kind of shocked because usually the ninths are just kind of the ninth cavaliers are just kind of uh, beasts of burden. They're just kind of like donkeys that carry around bone chips for their necromancer, right? And and Harrow is clearly like way more of a of a necromancer than anybody's heard of before from the ninth. Like Harrow's very special, and we don't we don't know why until later. So there's that. I, I would say the other the other uh, houses' specialties are not really uh, explained a lot, except for so the sixth has a lot of knowledge. They're the emperor's reason. Uh, the seventh is Dulcinea and uh, Proselyteus, her cavalier, and and Dulcinea is special because she's dying, and Gideon has the hots for. Her. She's got cancer or something going on. Uh, yeah, that's that's a plot point that I'd like to. Uh... Well, we we, we, can, we we can come back to that. And the eighth, the one, the other one is the eighth is very special because the younger man, who is the uncle to the older man, he is able to use his cavalier as a battery for his necromancy. So whatever he's doing, he kind of draws the life force out of out of that young man, and which is kind of horrible and shocking to everybody. And then the other ones are uh, what the the second are uh, military basically the third I'm not quite sure what they do the fourth are the teenagers and the fifth are the two married older people it, it, it's not it's not great but I will say on a on a rereading the characters were a little bit clearer in my mind um, but some of them are not some of them are not well developed at all and then there's teacher who's the who's the person who's kind of in charge of he's the alkalite who's in charge of that the house which is just this 
this castle that is now very dilapidated, falling apart. Um, and it can, and it's not just a castle. It contains laboratories and studies and whatever else. It's just crazy. So what, what were you going to point out? Sorry. Well, I was going to point out that so when, when they talk about how some of the houses are specialized in, in different kinds of necromancy, this bothers me for a couple of reasons. One is that it feels like if if your job title is necromancer, it feels very silly for me to be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm... I specialize in making skeletons. It's like, but that, well, yeah, you're a necromancer. Shouldn't shouldn't all of the necromancers be good at that? Like, <laughs> sh- shouldn't all of them be able to name all of the the dorsal muscles on the fibial tinder? You know, like, I think they all can to ex- to an extent. But I think I think that um, l- like one of them, I can't remember which one even uh, specializes. I guess the in being problem able to is that able... to me, the concept of necromancy already seems so narrow. Yeah, but, right. it, but 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 it, but but I, what I like about the book is it doesn't narrowly define it, and it doesn't it, it doesn't do the Avatar: The Last Airbender thing, where it's like here's everybody's strength and weakness. Like it doesn't it doesn't do that. It's just kind of like we know we know more about Harrow because Gideon knows more about Harrow, and Gideon is the point of view character. And when somebody is like, oh, you know, I tried to uh, talk to the to the spirits of the dead. Um, like I think the eighth can can talk to the spirits of the dead pretty pretty well. Like when they try to talk to the spirits of the dead. Um, they seem to have more success. So you get you get some window into it like that. Um, like at one point, uh, Ianthe the third, uh, there, there, and I should say there's two necromancers there. There's twins, Corona Beth and Ianthe. Um, like at one point, she makes this shield out of kind of like human fat. <laughs> it's really disgusting. This like so so there's 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 people who do different things. Um, but that image to me is it, I, I know you you disagree to me that image is extremely avatar the last airbender no 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 I, I don't disagree that it's avatar I, I I totally I totally uh think that that's that's true but I'm just saying it's not avatar in that like earth fire water you know <laughs> like right well th- I agree I agree those things are those things are more well defined in avatar than they are here they, yeah um, yeah but but I, but I think it's I think it's stronger in them not being too defined here I, I just think you get to see bits and pieces of it because because Gideon is your point of view character and I and I think I okay. think it works for me um, because of that I, I think what drives me batshit about uh, science fiction and fantasy and books that combine those two things is that you get you get this omniscient point of view that's always kind of explaining to you or you're in the head of somebody who knows too much and in being in the head of somebody who doesn't know a lot really works in this case mm-hmm. Gideon is kind of bewildered by the whole locked room mystery of it Gideon does not know what the other necromancers can do Gideon is not a necromancer she doesn't she doesn't know kind of the divisions of the houses and stuff any more than like their uniforms and well, how they present themselves the, the, you know this leads me to something that I was going to bring up anyway mm-hmm. um there is a, an anthology uh by that um isaac asimov edited called the 13 crimes of science fiction which i highly recommend everyone to go find a copy of it's it i don't think it's super easy to get a hold of but Mm -hmm. it it's a great little anthology it's the 13 crimes of science fiction and there's a foreword that asimov talks about how one of his writer friends said you can do anything in science fiction science fiction is incredibly versatile but the one thing you can't do is a mystery story and that's because uh, mysteries have to you have to be able to play along as a reader and in a science fiction setting the author can just invent whatever they want at the last second and the audience can't really play along because because they don't they don't they don't live in that world and they don't know what the rules are mm-hmm. and Isaac Asimov disagrees saying you can do it as long as the rules are firmly established up front as long as they're clear yeah, yeah. so so I, I just want it to be known that I am firmly of the opinion that this book is a science fiction mystery in which the rules are not established up front and it feels pretty silly. You, you, you know, so I think, like I accept I accept that as a legit criticism to a certain extent, but I also mm-hmm. think that um, it's, not, it's not about the mystery per se. Like there's a lot of things going on toward the end of the book. Um, like, uh, somebody is killed. Gideon is protecting somebody. Like like a monster kills one of the characters in front of Gideon. Gideon grabs another one, runs away, runs to a room that only she has the key to, hides in there, falls asleep because she's freaked out, and and the person with her is killed. And there's blood like bloody writing on the wall. You know, I can't remember what it says even. Um, but clearly, somebody left Gideon alive and uh, killed the other. And it's it's never quite made clear why that was the case, like why that happened. Um, Although I, so I, well, 
here's the thing. Like I, I have, I have friends who read too much into this book and are like, well, Gideon is a, um, is an unreliable narrator. Like this is all unreliable. I don't think Gideon's unreliable. I think Gideon's uninformed. I think she's an uninformed well, narrator. But that but, doesn't even make sense because the book isn't in first person. The book is third person limited. Well, it's third person limited, but it's Gideon's point of view, I think, because there's a lot of little smart ass comments through it that are that are in her voice. That's that's true. It it is that. So it's, so it's it's it, it's very Gideon. Um, and like, it would be very confusing to me if you did a unreliable narrator that was third person limited though i feel like that's i feel like that's bad form well i i I, well i think it would be i think it would work if if that was the case but i just think i just think gideon doesn't always know what's happening and if if it's revealed in the fourth book uh that gideon kind of knew more and was being unreliable i will i will throw this book across the room i think but i don't know (laughs) i mean but maybe maybe muir will uh will do that in such a way that i'll just love it i i have no idea i mean all i will say about the second book is if I had not loved this first book so much, I would never have made it through the second book. And and I thought, am I going to pick up the third book? I don't know. And then I picked it up and it was so unexpected what it's kind of about and where it starts that I thought, oh, well, I guess I am going to read this. This is this is fascinating. But in the third book, I wish I had taken taken more notes on on this book. So it's like, I feel like I need to now go reread that. And I have no idea what the fourth book is going to be like. I mean, I know what I expect it to be like, but now I think my expectations will be will be uh, done away with. They, they will be uh, invalidated. So, so, so I, I think I, I, I understand what you're saying about the mystery, but it's not it's not the mystery that's pulling the, the story along at that point. It's that Gideon is so amped up and threatened and is not sure like some of the necromancers seem to be about to start killing each other and some of them seem to be trying to help each other and there seems to be some kind of creature loose in the house that nobody's sure what it is like the house is kind of it, it's beyond haunted uh there there's evil there and and i think that tension is what the story sits in not so much who done it you know i mean the who done well, who done it is revealed but it's revealed within the confines of what gideon knows and, how, and gideon's experience and i think that's enough for me it it does certainly pull me along through it. It didn't leave me. I was not trying to solve the mystery. You are wondering what's going on, and you are kind of kind of trying to solve it from that perspective. And if you wanted, if you were looking at it as a mystery, I think it would be uh, frustrating. So I see what you're yes. saying. But but for me, it was just like, oh my god, like what's going to happen? Who's going to die? And people keep dying, and you know who's going to survive? And and you know, is is who's going to be a lictor? And and uh, what is that going to mean? And then it then it kind of happens to somebody, and you're like, well. I don't even know what the hell that means now. Like that, this is not, you know, right. it, I it, guess it, I, I, I'm going to compare this book to another book and I, and I, you're going to not like me. You're going to not like that. I'm doing that. But the only way that I could help make sense of this book at all was to, was to draw a comparison. Right. Um, okay. Because it, because I just found it so confusing the whole time. So the book that in the story that I find this most similar to as a whole is Frank Herbert's Dune. Frank Herbert's Dune is also a science fiction story featuring noble houses and an emperor and they fight with swords. Like, is that fair? Right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's it, it's interesting to me. I don't remember the book as much as the movies because the book I just remember being such a slog. But um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm always but, resentful that I didn't I, get to see the movie uh, that Joe Dawarski and Mobius would have made. So, you, you and every other nerd out there. I know, I know. Um, well, so it helped me to understand because, you know, the whole time I kept asking, well, but why do they use swords? And then I thought, well, they use swords in Dune, and it's because in Dune they have special force fields that bullets can't penetrate, but swords can because sure, swords sure. move slower than than bullets. Mm-hmm. And I and I thought about that, and I was like, yeah. That's a thing that I like about Dune is that it explains that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't explain that in this, but I just have to shrug and say like, well, okay, Dune did it. And so this book can do too. Like, why are the, why are, why is there a, why is there a space emperor and why are there feudal houses? Why are there noble houses? And I don't know that from reading this book. I know that the emperor is the, the best necromancer who ever lived. And so he's very right. powerful. But we, I mean, we do actually meet him at the end, uh, although that doesn't answer any question. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, you get some explaining us in the third book. And uh, that is my least favorite part of the series so far. But but I think I think uh, Muir was probably under some, some pressure to, to provide that. Uh, I don't know. I yeah well that thing like I I'm Dune is very explainy by comparison right, um, right although what I something that I think is good about Dune is that although there's a lot to be explained it's kind of divided into like appendices and 
the the parts of Dune that are explaining are not the main story. Like you can read the main story and not know what's happening, and then you can follow footnotes and be like, oh, that that's why you know, uh, that's where the water on the planet exists. Well, well, did Whereas, you did you like did you like Gideon's voice or did it just grate on you the whole no. time? I hated it the whole time. Okay, then I totally understand um, why you didn't like this book. Like, like for me, it was incredibly entertaining and unexpected, and it pulled me through. But that's but that's one problem amongst many. Well, well, but I think um, it's I think it's, it's the, the... I think it's the main problem, Willow, because I think if you hate the smartassery of Gideon, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's on every page. It's on every page, whether well, it's whether it's said aloud or just in the. But in the here's point of where view. I'm coming from: is that because I, I can imagine a, a world in which I do like Gideon's voice. Okay. L- like let's let's say that I really liked the characters. Let's say that I thought Gideon was funny. Let's say that I thought Hera was uh, I don't know what she's supposed to be, frankly, but interesting. <laughs> let's say that I let's say Terrifying. that I liked the dynamics. Let's say let's say I like the dynamics between between okay. Gideon and Hera, and mm-hmm. I like Camilla, and I like Sextus. Let's say I liked all that. Okay. I would still be so lost with regard to every other aspect of this book. Well, I, like I, to the to the point that I would be so frustrated. What 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 would what would lose you? Just like how the necromancy works? You want to you need an explanation of that? Well, yeah, well, I, here's the thing. If because, you know, when you read a book, you're trying to imagine I make a little movie in my mind mm-hmm. and I don't know what anything in this I don't know what anything in this world looks like. I don't know what Canaan House looks like. I it, there's a point where they go into like a into some kind of chamber and mm-hmm. it's described that electrical lights are coming on and that made me say well wait what was the light source the rest of the book what were how were they like were they just wandering in darkness because I literally have no idea no th- th- there are lights in the place but but they walked into a room that was dark and then they came on but but I I understand what you're saying it's very under described in some places it, it's just a big moldy castle with like laboratories and stuff like like what we would consider i think the jarring part for me is that it feels like um it feels like a medieval castle that has like uh a university embedded in it that's somewhere between uh mm-hmm. our time and like the 1850s at different moments right like like, like it doesn't make a lot of sense it, it it's uh it's kind of all those things at the same time and like and, and that setting is never explained. And then there's spaceships, right? Like, like what, like what the hell's going on? It's, it's, it's kind of right. super weird. Um, and and, it, and it's all, it's all told, it's all told through the point of view of Gideon, who's never drank tea before, who's never had a shower before, who's never right. experienced daylight before, right? Well, and I, I wouldn't make as big a deal out of it, except that the, like, the book does make a big deal out of it, where uh, at one point. Um, Harrow is eating some slimy leaves and she goes, oh, that must be what a salad is. I've never had a salad before. Yep, yep. And and that makes me say, okay, they've never had salad before, but they never tell us what they did eat on Drearba. Like, they don't... Well, they had, I, I don't they know had, what they, they ate on Drearba. Some kind of radish mush and some kind of... Um gruel like, like like sounds like about it and, and it is it is they are they are penitents so they live this incredibly this life of just dreary um but there, there's so many details nothings. that i just because i i know that they live in space i know that this is like earth's future and i just want to know like do they have movies do they well it sounds like, like they what don't do, have, they do well they don't have movies but gideon clearly has pornography and clearly gideon clearly has some comics like, 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 right, the, they the, have the, they do have comics and they have magazines, but like, and that only like I want to I need to know like wh- who where is the where is the printer who's printing these who is shipping these like I yeah, I yeah. don't need I don't need every single thing answered, but the the world that is portrayed is so confusing. <laughs> well, I, it, I really mean that. Well, you, you you get bits and pieces, and you don't get the whole, and you either have to go with it or not. And I like going with that kind of stuff, and you hate it. I mean, this is that well, thing that divides us as readers. He, I mean, it really here's is. Here's one of the things. Here's one of the things that's really crazy to me. So, the the ninth house, as we come, as it's not made obvious at the beginning, but as I come to learn is almost almost extinct there's there's somewhere right. as you say 70 people my roommates say 12 people 12 either I, way I buy, that's, I buy 12 to 70 him by anyway that's still like you know i that's less than my high school i went to high school with a thousand students right well, well and they're all super old except for like maybe the trainer who trained gideon the sword who's like kind of middle-aged but not really and yeah but but one of the like the ninth house is dying and one of the reasons Hera wants to become a lictor is to save the ninth house because they can't well, admit how bad things are because everybody else would kind of descend on them is my sense. But this is, and, but this is part of the thing that's confusing. So it, we, we could actually, this would be a good point to compare to Avatar The Last Airbender because 
in in the story of Avatar: The Last Airbender, <laughs> I know why the characters want to learn bending. I know why they like it's it's not an abstract good to them mm-hmm. they they use their powers to to help themselves and to help other people and mm-hmm. to defend themselves against the fire nation it in this story everyone is obsessed with becoming a lictor everyone is obsessed with necromancy but it's not obvious to me to what end now you say it's to save the ninth house but literally harrow's parents this is this is big spoiler uh, Harrow's parents killed all like 200 children and a bunch of adults to make their daughter the best necromancer they could. Right, because like, necromancers need, need a source of fanergy, the death energy, and that that those that massive amount of young deaths created this huge amount of fanergy that kind of guaranteed Harrow would be the supreme necromancer at her birth. Right. Well, which only tells me that, like, I mean, you know, like that. That's. Um, and I know we're not supposed to think that's a good thing. We're not supposed to like that that happened. Obviously, right? We're not we're not pro child death, but it does. I don't even think it makes a. I don't even think it makes a lot of internal sense in that. Like, all right, your parents killed all these children to make you the best necromancer, and you as a necromancer are going to bring them all back to life. It's like, well, that's. Well, I don't think she's supposed to bring them back to life, but she's supposed to save her house. Like, like, like there's some there's some way in which her house needed. Uh, a uh, hugely right, powerful you, necromancer you that. that I don't understand. And, and and it's worth saying that that Gideon was also supposed to be killed, but Gideon did not die. And they don't know why Gideon didn't die. And that's why Gideon is the only kid who's alive, right. who's Hera's age. Um, and Gideon's a little bit that's... older than Hera. Hera's like 16 and Gideon's like 18. Right. Right. But it, see, that that confuses me even further that like, all right, so there's there's like three children and one of them is the the heiress one of them is is the is the new lord of the house one of them is just some random toddler who didn't die well, well, I, well I, 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 I think ortis's mom I, I don't think ortis is their age i think ortis is a little older but um i think ortis's mom kind of saved him she's very protective of him right so i i, I buy right, that but but it well it finds it i think it's even stranger that all right, this is this is a situation. Uh, this kid, I'm gonna just train to fight with a sword real good, and but also I'm going to make her miserable every second of her existence. Well, right? I, I, but that's, it's a, but, that's but, weird. But the, ninth, the ninth house is a place of misery, and Harrow just well, well, no. The reason Harrow makes Gideon's life hell is that, um, well, do you remember the secret? Like Harrow, like, like there's the thing called the locked tomb that nobody's supposed to be able to go inside. It's all warded. Yes, it's got, it's got I, the Emperor's I enemy. remember the locked. Tomb. And when Harrow was a little kid, Har- Harrow opens it and goes inside, and Gideon sees that. And because Gideon is torturing Harrow a little bit, as, as little kids would, uh, Gideon goes and tells Harrow's parents, and Harrow's parents are so aghast that they, uh, because they're all penitents who worship the locked tomb and and protect it, and you're not supposed to go in there, like nobody's supposed to be able to. But Harrow's so powerful, she figures out how to do it. And then Gideon's, or not Gideon's parents, Harrow's parents kill themselves. And and Harrow's supposed to die too, but Harrow doesn't. And so Gideon thinks Harrow blames Gideon for the whole the whole thing, um, for, for killing her parents. And, and that's the reason that she's tortured. But, uh, and, then, and then what? Harrow, like, is 10, 10 years old and reanimates the corpses of her parents so nobody can tell that they're yeah. not, not still alive yeah. and it basically takes over the house. It's well, very strange. This is... Well, this okay. This makes me even angrier because so to compare it again to Dune, right, to compare it to Dune, where there are many noble houses in space and they're all feuding with each other constantly and they all want to gain dominance over each other. Uh-huh. Like some amount of that is happening in here as well because yeah, yeah. Arrow is very afraid. She's afraid. She says at one point that we will not become uh, auxiliary to another house. We will not become like uh, another. We will not become you know just absorbed into a larger house. Right. We want we want our independence, but I mean I think that's funny for two reasons because one you, you absolutely would be so much better off if you did in every way as far as I could tell. Well, maybe not because because look at look at Gideon's an indentured servant to the house and just has to do whatever they say. But but Harrow kind of has some freedom. Like and plus Harrow's parents like sacrificed everything so that Harrow could well do, and everyone <laughs> right so that Harrow could do that. So I don't know. Yeah, but that was clear. That was a that was a bad. That was a dumb thing that they did. The, yeah, but I, yeah, I but think it's, Harris it's what she was raised really to do. Stupid. She just wants power, right? Anyway, that's fine. Okay, sure. But um, in the world of Dune, they're constantly sending spies after each other because they constantly want to know what the other houses are doing. There's a lot of espionage going on. Sure. This I think is laughable because this is this takes place in a in a world where space travel has been mastered, like. 
the technology has to be a pretty good in order to do that. And um, if your house has 12 to 70 people in it, if that's the population of your planet, how do the other houses not... Well, like, they're, they're, they're in a hole in the ground. All they are is like a prison for... for... For people who have done terrible things right. and like this locked think, tomb and and you know but i think that's even i know but here's in a science fiction world you're telling me that a big house i could i don't you know let's say the fifth house yeah you're telling me that they can't send probes to the ninth planet well, to well, Drirba? i'm telling you as presented that that doesn't happen right i mean i, mean, I, I know and and because and i accuse the author of having a small imagination as a result well just because just because you want imperial probe droids doesn't mean they exist (laughs) you know (laughs) but i'm saying that like we we have not mastered space travel but we still put we still have surveillance technology right and yeah that's just the world that we live in that's the real world like technology is really good and 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 in a world where space travel exists technology's got to be even better well i'm gonna say no i i i just disagree <laughs> with that you have to you have to take what's presented in this in this book i mean like like look at star wars okay everything is mechanical right i mean like you you, you right. fix a spacecraft with a wrench you just accept it because that's that's what you're presented with you don't need a big explanation of why there aren't like solid state right. electronics in Star Wars. You know what I mean? It just doesn't. Yes, I I, I agree that this book is more. It, it is absolutely more Star Wars than it is Dune, and it's more Star Wars than it is Star Trek. Or that's that's valid. You, you, I, you, I accept you, that. You, you've put me on a little bit of, of something that I hate when I'm talking to people about about books, though. And some people some people do this, and I, I realize you do this much more than I do, which is people talk about what they want from a book versus what's there. Like, well, I wanted this. Like, I think I think it's different to say I wanted this or like, why isn't this there? Than it is to say, like, like this book um, kind of presented me with this question. Like, like, like there's these two pieces of information. Like, like, like if there was something that pointed to there being um, a massive like uh, spy network in the book and like in, like information queries. I mean, for all we know, these people don't have the Internet, right? There's no evidence of Internet or anything in here. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no evidence of databases. I mean, like, like it, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. I'm, I'm not saying it's correct. I don't know how their library works, but there's just no evidence I, of this I, stuff. So I, I, okay. You're, you're not wrong. Uh, here's the thing. If, uh, it, it's true that I do a thing where I, I say, I, I would like something out of the book. Now it's not that I need there to be, I, I don't need there to be a giant spy database. I, I, Honestly, this this line of thought never would have happened if at some point the book had told me, and I know this is me asking again, I would like something else. Right. Uh, if But if the book had told me that the population of the Ninth House was, say, 9 million people, <laughs> uh, well, because that's, for an entire planet, that's still incredibly small, right? Well, you, well it, like, it's, so, it's so clearly way less than that, because the entire generation of, of little kids was 200. So you can you can kind of right. figure out from but, that. Right? And that's... Well, but that's that's that was the thing that was my inciting incident of going, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I I didn't ask the book to give me a lot of people, but it gave me so few people that I had to stop and do the math and say, oh, this is this doesn't make sense. Uh, I want you to know I just looked up knuckle knives on the Internet and uh, it's exactly what I thought it would be. Okay, I mean, I that's well, but I don't know that I don't know that what the internet thinks knuckle knives are the same thing that Tamson Muir thinks knuckle knives are. Well, it's 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 on a brass knuckle company website, so I'm I'm guessing they're the experts. I'm just going with that. Fair enough. That's that that's valid. I'm that I'm fine with that. Okay. Um, although I think the I think if you tried to fight with uh knuckle knives and a rapier. I don't know how that I don't know how well that would work as an actual sword fighting technique, but I'm not going to worry about that right now. <laughs> um, well, but here's the thing: like, I guess the I guess this raises a new question of how does one how like obviously I read this book and I didn't like it. Right, right, right. Um, and and we we're doing a podcast right now where we're talking about whether or not we liked a book. So if I if I didn't say. Um, if I didn't say, ah, oh, geez, it would, I would have liked it to be more like do, and I would have liked it to explain these things. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, what, what, how else can I critique a book? I guess. Well, 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 uh, no, no, how... I mean, I mean, I think you, I think you can critique the book in terms of itself. I mean, I think, I think you can say the book didn't have the information I needed to make this book understandable to me, that the locked room frustrated, locked room mysteriness of it frustrated me because I didn't have the, I didn't have the, um, 
I didn't have the information I needed to engage okay. with it as a locked room mystery, which is what it presents itself as at some point, right? I mean, I mean, like, like, like I get, I get that, right? Like, 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 like me hearing that from you doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make me wonder like what you're talking about. But what I'm telling you is that I, I think that it, it, it doesn't, it didn't need that to function for me. Like, like I would love a good locked room mystery, and and what pulled me through it was the other things. Like, it, it, it presents itself as that, but, but kind of brilliantly sidesteps it to me. Well, I'm willing to admit that I am I am in the minority here. That most people love this book. That's yeah. I'm not denying that. I clearly I, I, I am the weird new? one because I, I I am the weird one because I don't like this book. I I fully endorse that. Um, but also, that's one of the one of the things that really frustrates me about this book is that I feel like all of because I see so many people online talking about this book and they talk about the things they love about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, did we read the same book? Oh, oh, oh no, no. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I, I've seen some of that stuff too. And I, I've got to, I'm here to tell you that I feel like I am not a close reader in the way a lot of people who love this book are. I feel like th- I feel like there's a cult around this book a little yes. bit. Yes. Um, and and I you, feel like I feel like people read things into it that I don't understand where they're getting it as well. But but I think that up, I think that if you read this book like four or five times and could absorb the details, I think it's all in there. I, I just I just think well it's not even it's not even the details it's it, well the big thing to me is actually it's the relationships because mm-hmm. that's I obviously the thing that people really love about this book is they love the characters and they love the relationships right. of the characters and I think they don't care about the other things in the same way that they they watch Star Wars and they and they don't ask now wait a minute explosions don't make sound in space but well, I want to I, I uh, want to say that I'm so confused um, like as a piece of queer fiction it seems very frustrating to me. Yes, it is extremely, that is a number one thing for me is I read this because it was supposed to be queer and this is the worst fucking queer book ever. As somebody who doesn't go seeking out um, quote unquote queer fiction very much, but it happens to read a lot of it, right? Like, like, like yeah, it seemed, it seemed very, very much not to is, provide yeah. what, what other books provide in that well, in that genre or, or what, what i what i perceive everything everything yeah everything between gideon and harrow is just extremely abusive to the max like th- that is not a nothing about that is good it is nothing about it is likable nothing about it is healthy right right um the the things between dulcinea and gideon i don't like i didn't like any part of that Wait, it, me either it, me either no it, it's extremely confusing at the beginning too because um at the beginning, it's by the way it is written, it seems like Gideon does not like Dulcinea at all and doesn't even find her attractive. Well, and but she rushes to help her when she falls. So that that's something, right? Well, but that's a that that doesn't really you can help someone who you don't want to have sex with or not romantically oh, yeah, attracted with. That's... I, I, absolutely. But but I think the description shows that Gideon is attracted to Dulcinea right, right from the beginning. Dulcinea is like this wispy. I, well, kind of, the, kind of... the only <laughs> to me this book is it's a lot of uh characters who are obviously queer or performing queer because like as we, as we discover dulcinea ha- is not dulcinea right right um and and so we don't know if she ever actually liked gideon at all or if that was all a bit and and i don't right. i don't even want to interrogate that frankly i i would it's like not worth to talking stop about talking. yeah no it's not worth talking about it except the except as an example of this being a I, although, although I, I'm going to say, I think, I think, I think whoever Dulcinea is really was into Gideon. I, I think that, but but I'm not sure. That, and and maybe she was. The thing is, is that you can't you can't trust her regardless. And I don't well, I don't well, like her. Well, well, I think it's I think it's Gideon's point of view, right? I think it's Gideon's point of view because, um, like, that's who we're seeing things through. So so Gideon thinks like whatever whatever is. Whatever, whatever Dulcinea is. Well, is, I, th- is, I think uh, the I think the facts of the matter is that Kitharia, who who is in the guise of Dulcinea, mm. what 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 we do know is that she did frequently call upon Gideon and spend hours upon hours, you know, idly talking to her about whatever. Right. And 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 that that happened. Whether or not that means that Kitharia likes Gideon or not, or that she is performing the act of of liking her for Gideon's sake I don't care that's whatever well it didn't it didn't make any sense to me as an overall I, I mean I mean but, uh, I mean th- that whole creature is like like uh 
like the reason i i guess i understand it but kind of the the playing alongness of it was so strange all the way through i i, I don't know i mean and the gideon I part is to, the weirdest um, part of it so i have to compare this to the, 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 this is a special are you have you watched the uh, the netflix she-ra cartoon uh only a few episodes Okay, well, I'm going to, in addition to spoiling the plot of Gideon the Ninth, I'm going to spoil <laughs> the ending. I'm going to spoil the oh, ending. Oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I have to say, you can't do this to me. No, you can't do it to me. I, I, I am watching okay. it. I'm watching it slowly. No. Okay, that's fine. Um, well, I'm just going to say that they both are bad. They're both bad lesbian <laughs> things. They, 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 well, because the end of the book, the, the end of this book, Gideon the Ninth, has Gideon and harrow after everything they've been through after all of the torment and misery that they have put upon each other because they yeah, constantly yeah. hate each other and yeah, they yeah. tell each other how much they hate each other you know they have this tearful thing where they're gonna die but they realize like no we have to we have to save each other and no no and don't, don't hate, talk about don't talk about I exactly hate. the ending but but like 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 they clearly love each other at one point about three quarters of the way through the book right but that's and that's and that's terrible for I, a lot of reasons i loved it i loved it rereading it i have to tell you i i totally bought uh, it well i don't i don't want to be the kind of person who says that like abusive relationships in fiction are indicative of bad things in the real world because oh. i don't believe that you know i don't believe that reading uh nabokov makes you a bad person mm -hmm. in the way which is a, which is a belief that's going around that is like that's that's bad yeah, like yeah. that it's 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 wrong to think that reading that like that that you know good that that art is supposed to make you virtuous or that or that o the only art that should exist exhibits a kind of virtue i don't agree with that mm -hmm. however what i what i am seeing a lot of that i think is a is a real world problem is i'm seeing young lesbians who read this book and are and are getting the wrong idea out of it they're yeah. idolizing this dynamic of I, like i'll point out that and i feel like a one of these dumb twitter people who explains when something is problematic when it isn't but <laughs> well gideon gideon is a slave to to harrow <laughs> like that that is literally the the foundation of their relationship it is a master slave relationship um in no uncertain terms mm, it's, it's it's close it, but but the 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 reason we like it is because they talk like they're the characters from Shira that they they talk to each other like they're Saturday morning comic book characters. Sure, sure. Uh, with, it does that, make it palatable, that, yeah. But but also everything about their relationship is just bad. It's just a bad relationship. Well, well even well, if they if they didn't admit their love for each other at the end. It would it would still be bad. I think they like have their I, I think they have their come to Jesus moment though. I think they were raised together. I think they're the only two people who understand each other's experience. Their their lives are so intertwined. I I have uh, two sisters, and the one I grew up with, I didn't like for a long time. You know, she and I had a moment where was where, she your slave master? <laughs> no, 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 no. She's not. But she was she was super unpleasant to me, and um, she, she's younger than I am. But but like, you know, and she doesn't like when I talk about this. So I I hope she doesn't hear it. But but. Uh, I have talked to her about it recently and like, you know, like, like, it's funny. We've, we've become friends again and it's, it's very interesting. And, and like, I love my sisters, you know, I love both of them and it's, it's, uh, but it's super interesting to have a relationship with her because I remember just not getting along with her at all. I remember her just torturing me. I remember her just being super unpleasant. And, and now like there's very few people who have been through what I've been through, even though her experience of that stuff is totally different than mine and her point of view on everything is different than, than me. Um, you know, to have somebody who's been through that with you is extremely meaningful. And it, it doesn't, there's not like a, I don't think they, I don't think they get it on or anything, you know, I don't think it's that kind of relationship, but I think, I think it's, it's very, very much like siblings, like the, the love they have. And maybe that's me reading myself into it a little bit. And maybe it's misunderstood. I, I think it feels like it's misunderstood in a way, but maybe sure. I'm wrong about the nature of the relationship and maybe it'll be made clear uh, well, later, I, but I can't you're you may be right that their relationship may more be like siblings however all of the internet wants them to get it on oh yeah no 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 i i i, I totally understand i totally understand but i i reject that premise i mean like like well but... and and but that's that's actually part of the thing that frustrates to me is that for this book that is held up as this pinnacle of of lesbianism yeah yeah 
it shouldn't be you you shouldn't be able to interpret it as their sisters right it should be explicit like i don't which is not to say that i need like a sex scene but i need i need them to say in no uncertain terms what their what their love is right well do you think they get it on Um, do you think they get it on when she's holding when she's holding harrow do you think that's what happens there no no they in this book they don't get it on i'm not saying that they do okay well no 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 i mean Uh, i i I could see an interpretation of 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 that moment because it kind of fades to black a little bit and then you don't really see well here's i i had to do so much research i've done more research for this for this book (laughs) and this episode of bookstabber than i have any other because i'm I'm the kind of crazy person that I need to understand why people are obsessed with this. See, I decided I wasn't going to go. I wasn't. I decided not to do that because I just wanted to to read the book by itself. Well, you've already, but you've also you've read this book more than once, and you've read the others. So yeah, yeah. You you come to this with more knowledge on the subject than I did. You know, I um I watched this woman on YouTube. I don't remember her name, but she did a she did a plot recap because she was like, all right, the next book's coming out, so I'm gonna I'm gonna oh wow discuss the events of the book so that we're all we're all refreshed and what i found so interesting was that her whole she provided all of this color commentary to every individual plot point mm-hmm. and and it was so amazing to me how like clearly this woman was in love with everything that was happening and uh-huh. and i was on the complete like we had the we had the most <laughs> opposite interpretations of everything well, that's my, my favorite thing my favorite thing is that um she points out uh it's like and then uh, Gideon and Harrow go into the room and discover such and such is dead and and is their dead bodies there and it's bloody and everything um and then like she pauses in the editing and goes like did that geez did that feel like it came out of nowhere for you did that feel like it was a really weird thing to happen in this book that like a, to- a complete tonal shift it sure do- did didn't it but she's saying that as and i love that i love that there's a huge tonal shift halfway through the book that feels out of place mm-hmm. and i'm on the other side saying that's <laughs> not good writing that's stupid <laughs> oh i mean i mean i mean but this book is all this book exists it is a myriad of tonal shifts all the time right and so i think it, it, yeah and i hate well yeah. that's that's part of the reason why i don't like that gideon is a smart ass um yeah yeah and we, well, and here's the thing. I like smart-ass protagonists. I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the sure. like the ultimate smart-ass protagonist. Mm-hmm. But the tone of Spider-Man is so extremely different, right, as a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Again, I think, I think if you get to the first, I mean, what's the first bit of Gideon smart-assery? Uh, Gideon's like looking at um, Ortis on the ninth planet, and she she calls him uh, what a morbid donkey. And, and Ortis is the cavalier at that point. And she says, coupling him to Harrow had been rather like yoking a donut to a cobra. Like, I love that. It's very nice. I will say there there was one joke in the whole book that made me laugh. Was it the throw, throw her a bone book joke? No, the the only the only part that I found funny. I think it's in the in the, the last fight drags on forever, which I don't like about it. I love the last but, fight so much. Oh my well, god! There's a part where there's a part where Harrow, or or maybe it was um, Camilla. One somebody goes unconscious. I don't remember. And Gideon's like holding the body, and, and it's Camilla. Says, right. So Camilla's unconscious, and and Gideon puts her down on what she and decides is the the softest looking pile of bones. Mm-hmm. And that that to me, I thought, okay, that's that's funny. <laughs> that that it, made you well, laugh at all the re- things in the book. <laughs> well, the, because well because. This, I say this, I don't think this is very good comedy writing because um, most of it just really beats you over the, beats you over the head. And uh, that joke was, was just like, it, it was, it was nice. It was a nice joke. It wasn't um, over the top. Like, cause there's, there's literally a, a they're referencing, um, the, they, they reference mean girls in this book. Mm-hmm. And that makes me want to strangle the author. Like that to me is just like, no, it's not. It's not funny to just reference Mean Girls in your science fiction uh, necromancer book. Like, go go write an actual joke. You didn't write that joke. You just you just said that a joke exists. I don't even know what you're talking about, but okay. There's a part. Well, I'm not the only one who who touches upon it. Everyone everyone seems to agree that this. So there's a part where. Uh, 
somebody says, why is it that you're trying to become a lictor? And another character responds, you can't just ask someone why they're trying to become a lictor. Uh, which see like that isn't even actually funny but it is a reference like like in 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 the place where it is it doesn't even work as a joke it only exists to be a reference uh there's another part very early in the book where um harrow is making fun of gideon and this one works better i think but it's it still takes me out of it and i don't like it Hmm. um where gideon says you see uh while we were doing such and such gideon here was studying the blade which is a reference to a popular online meme about like when you were when you were out uh, trying to get laid i was busy studying the blade while you were busy doing <laughs> such and such i was studying like and um so this book has re- and i i'm i'm told that in like book 3 or something there's a uh, a reference to a simpsons joke about speed holes in a car well and, and, and i i i saw something that said muir muir put a lot of like easter eggs in there kind of like that like a lot of references so so i i'm i'm buying what you're saying but i i didn't pick up on them maybe why it's also not that annoying to me but yeah well that right because they're they're glaring to me okay i think um, we've i think we've talked this to death <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have absolutely talked this to death. I didn't like Gideon the Ninth. I loved it. I'm sorry uh, to everyone who does. I loved it. Clearly, I'm wrong. I loved it. You can t- t- tell if, Willow how if wrong you're she interest, is. <laughs> if you're t- interested in telling me how wrong I am, you should uh, write an email to books to have her podcast at gmail.com. Uh, our next book that we are going over next episode is called The Hammer and the Horn by Michael Jan Friedman. That's right. It's from 1985. It has the most laughable cover on it I've ever found on a, on a book. Uh, I sent you a copy. I have a copy for myself. Does your copy have the metallic um, treatment on the on the guy's uh, red chainmail onesie? The I don't know what that guy it is. Does. He's a monkey man well, you, or a you, troll <laughs> with a sword. Right. You actually you actually sent me this copy. Yeah. Uh, it, it is it is a very funny cover you it's a book that made me laugh so hard i bought it twice it is just oh and it's i think it's the second book in a series although the first book in the series is not is not even listed inside the the book it's dedicated to michael and, jan friedman's wife um i just cannot wait to read this book i'm so excited <laughs> if you have a recommendation uh please email it to us we'd love to hear from you uh, and that's all for this episode. Go read the Haunted Skull, www.hauntedskull.com, and read Library Comic, www.librarycomic.com. For God's sake, read Gideon the Ninth, and then read The Hammer and the Horn by Michael Jan Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> all right, folks. Keep stabbing. Later. <laughs>